0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Hello. 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 Is that on? Can you hear me? Good. Good. Welcome. Welcome. Um, Before I speak, I I want to say something really quick. That doesn't make sense. Um, before I get into the talk, I want to say something really quick. Before, um, yesterday, I got a text message from my mum saying uh, that she's praying. That's a serious thing. She's praying for this talk. So if you get any kind of overwhelming feelings of the Holy Spirit, it's because there's a woman in Croydon who is uh, a serious prayer warrior. When my mum says she's praying, I get a little bit nervous. Um, so So yeah, today's talk um, is within the series that we're doing on walking as Jesus walked, um, And the topic of this talk is around obedience. Um, and I've got a sentence that this whole talk is going to hang off. Um, and so I'm going to say the sentence, uh, it's going to be up on the screen, and then we're going to go through the sentence together, um, just breaking it down a little bit, and hopefully uh, it will be clear what the outtake is from, from today's talk. So the sentence is this, God has a plan for your life, and if you're obedient, he will satisfy you beyond your expectation. Sounds, um, I wrote it and then afterwards I thought, it oh, sounds like a bit of a prosperity message. Like I should be wearing like a big suit, big white suit, and God has a plan <laughs> for your life. Um, and I shared it with Owen last night um, and he had a few comments. But I'm hoping that as we go. It's <laughs> like. <laughs> um, But I'm hoping that as we go through it, and hopefully as I explain it, I hope that this sentence stays true, um, and that it's not seen in the context of some kind of prosperity um, gospel, but actually the gospel that we believe in as a church. So let's begin. God. When we start with God, I think... As a church, we, you know, you hear God all the time. You hear, we talk about God, we, like, God has a plan for your life. We, we throw away statements a lot of the time, but I had a moment once in my life, in fact I've had a few moments in my life where the, the reality of God has become apparent to me in such a way that when I use the word God in a statement, it has a profound meaning beyond a, a throwaway statement. I was in Zambia. I went to Zambia for a couple of months and I lived on a farm that had no electricity, no running water. And um, as you can imagine, there's no electricity and no running water. It's not, you know, not the greatest of conditions. But one of the things that you find is I've never (laughs) experienced before is, is the complete darkness at night. The complete darkness. Like I grew up in Croydon. You know, there's... There's sirens and, you know, there's, it's never really dark. Like, it's as dark as you can make it with blackout blinds. But you're not used to a, a darkness. And, um, and actually what it means is when you look up at the sky in Croydon, you don't see stars. You don't see, you might get like one and you're like, whoa, it's a star. But those of you that have been to Africa or been in the kind of remote places even in England... When you look up at the sky, you see the stars, and it is just amazing. It's like this, this different experience of what the sky is, and you're like, oh. And it almost brings a bit of context to your life, because when you're in Croydon or Brixton or whatever, and you see one star, you're like, oh, that's cool. And it just, it's just like a throwaway thing. But when, you see, when you're faced with this blanket above you, and what we used to do is in the middle of the night, we used to drive out in the truck and uh, into the kind of the furthest part in the middle of one of the fields, where there 's no light for there 's no towns for miles, so there 's no artificial light at all, and we turn off the truck light and we just sit there for hours watching shooting stars what it would do to me is think, who am I that you are mindful of me it 's this thing that It's this thing that you've heard it said, you've heard the psalmist say it. Who am I that you are mindful of? There's moments that, you know, I I can't conjure this moment for you right now. I can't tell you that this is what you should be feeling. There are moments in your life when you think to yourself, wow, I am very small in the context of this thing. And, uh, And sometimes, I've actually spoken with James about this, about the the size of the universe, and sometimes you, you block it out because it's so big that it starts to be a little bit discomforting. But it's important to remember it in the context of a sentence like this. Because when we say God, we must understand what we mean by God and the size of God and who he is. Because if we believe as a church that he is the creator of all things, that he spoke this universe into being, by his voice. Then this is a serious thing when we start with God. And what it does is it brings context to the things to the to the words that we read when we say we boldly approach. Because when we read in Hebrews that it says we boldly approach the throne of grace, we must always remember that in 1 Timothy it says Jesus is unapproachable light. And so the boldness at which we approach should be this amazing kind of awe-inspiring that we could be bold enough to approach a God that created all of this. And we sing songs like, I am a friend of God. And we kind of go into them on a Sunday, but hold on. You're a friend of this God that created everything? And that's what the Bible says. So when we say God, I wanted to kind of tee it up, get us in the right frame of mind when we go on to the next bit of this sentence. Because what it does is it means that this plan for your life has. Such bigger significance than if I'd have just said, "God has a plan for your life," because your immediate response to "God has a plan for your life" is, "Oh, what's God going to do with me?" You know, "What's it? What's He going to? What's He going to do through me?" You know, what? But actually, in the context of God, it puts it all in perspective. I wanted to start with that. I didn't want to be too heavy to begin with. Um, This is quite a heavy talk, actually. I was, I try and be like light-hearted and try and be funny but I haven't got any of that in here because the subject of obedience is one of the utmost importance and in this last week God has done something in me and my relationships with other people um, and as situations have come about where the obedience to God has become very real to me outside of the context of constructing a talk and how, how best can I talk about the obedience of God, obedience to God. Actually, she's become very real to me what disobedience looks like. And I've been dealing with a friend of mine that has been in some serious disobedience. And he is dealing with the consequences. So God has a purpose for your life. Has a purpose for your life. When we, when we, we did the Alpha course and one of the questions that they ask on the Alpha course is, um, you know, what's the meaning of life? What are we here for? You know, as Christians, we have the answer to that. Sometimes you can go, go through church and forget that we have the answer to some of the biggest questions, the biggest question that any of us ever have to ask, and all of your colleagues at work will ask outside of the context of their purpose in life is to make money. There is a bigger question is, what is really our purpose in life? And actually, we have that answer. In Ephesians 2, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. In Isaiah it says, We are created for his glory. You no, know, we are created for him, we're created by him and for him. And that actually, Jesus models this understanding of who God is. And what he's created for, in the purposes of purposes of his life, you notice know, that Jesus did nothing, nothing outside of what the Father told him to do, nothing. Like everything he did was in accordance to what God had for his life. Like there was no move that he made, no word that he said that was outside of that. Did only what the Father did. I think about my own life, and I think actually I do a lot of what I want to do. And then there's moments. There's moments that I kind of bring God in. You know, I I do. I I, I live out my life. I live out my life, and then I bring God in. It's like a. It's like my uh, insurance policy that I've got. I've got like a God insurance. So I live out my life do what I've got to do, things go badly and I, I make a claim. <laughs> I make a claim to like my, you know, God, I've kind of invested a little bit in church, you know, over the years, I've paid slowly in my church, in my, in my God policy, and then when things go wrong, I, I, I'll, I'll make a claim on God, yeah? But actually, that's not the way Jesus modeled it. Not the way Jesus modelled it. In fact, everything that he did, everything that he did was actually for one single purpose. He submitted his entire will to do what God had for him. And and Paul explains it in a really interesting way to Timothy. So Paul writes a letter to this guy called Timothy, um, and he's like his mentor. Um, And he says to him, don't get caught up in civilian pursuits don't get caught up in civilian pursuits because you have been enlisted. He uses the analogy of being called up into the army. And and, and what he's essentially saying is that plan for your life, that plan for the individuals here, that plan for your life, that's like you've been enlisted. God has a purpose for you. And and when you do other things outside of that, it's, it's like getting caught up in civilian pursuits. It's doing things that actually they're nothing to do with the ultimate purpose in your life. And what you're doing is you're investing, you're investing part of your life or most of your life into things that are nothing to do with the purposes and the plans that God has for you. I think it's, it's important um, to see that the plan for your life, God's plan, remember who God is. God's plan for your life is not this kind of side thing. It's not like, okay, John, you do what you like for all of your life. You do what you kind of want to do. But there's going to be one moment where I'm going to call upon you. And so be ready for that, because that's going to be, you know, you're going to get to speak at Beacon. (laughs) There's going to be one moment where I call upon you. That's not really the way that... The Bible positions it, and it's not the way that Jesus models it for us. But actually, in everything that he did, he was obedient. In every decision that he made, he was obedient. Because he had an understanding of the overarching plan and purpose for his life. And when we go on to talk about the obedient side of it, it's really important that when we start with God, we start with who God is, this unapproachable light. And that he is mindful of you. And that he has a plan and a purpose for you. I've got a group of friends that I am um, in a WhatsApp group called The Friendship. It's like a ship of friends. Um, started off saying, all aboard The Friendship. Anyway, basically, there are other guys who, uh, there's like five, five of us. And there are other guys that like love the Bible, love God um and it's just we get messages all the time around oh this is what i'm doing one of them studying Spurgeon's, like the other three work at a church and i work in advertising so <laughs> um, slightly falling behind on the old holy points but um but yeah we, we were talking um we, we post stuff and I've been planning this talk, so every time something kind of pops into my head, which I think will make me look clever in front of them, I'd post it. Um, And I I posted the line, that we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Because it hit me. that This this is crazy, right? That we are his workmanship. That we are created for him, by him. That actually, the, the the whole thing about me the whole thing about me is that I am his workmanship. I am like a tool in his hands to be used for him. That if I'm, if I'm not being used by God, it's just I'm, I'm like a tool that's been left on the shelf for no apparent reason. It's, it all feels a little bit obscure when I talk in this way sometimes. But if you get this, I guarantee it will transform your life. This, I was going to call this talk Satisfaction Guaranteed, but I work in advertising and you would have seen it right through me. Um, but I guarantee, <laughs> I guarantee, I guarantee that if you get this, if you get an understanding of God, an understanding that your purpose, your sole purpose in life is to be a tool in his hands, a vessel used for his glory. (whistles) That's that's my mum praying. (laughs) Mum, slow down. (laughs) I guarantee it will bring you satisfaction. I guarantee it. So his purpose for us is all-encompassing. Our sole purpose, not part of our purpose, our sole purpose is to bring glory to God. It's to be used by Him in His hand. Now that comes as a little bit of an abrupt message to actually how we feel. I know most of you are sitting there probably thinking, yeah, okay, maybe I agree with that if you've kind of given your life to God. But, but it will be abrupt. It will be abrasive to the way you naturally feel and actually the way that you live out your life. Because I know that as I was planning this, I was like, oh, I'm not worthy really to be talking and speaking this message because I, I think to myself, do I actually submit to the plan of God for my life completely? Do I wake up each day and think, God, what, are you, what have you for me to do today? What, what should I say today? Who, who should I speak to today about you? But God in his grace uh shows us that this statement is true through our small acts of obedience to prove to us that if we were completely obedient, we would find full satisfaction. Because I found in my life that when I am obedient, and listening to Zoe's story is, was, was great because you know, I feel like we've kind of been there on a, on a little bit of a journey. But there's a moment of obedience and it's brought satisfaction. There's decisions that we make in our lives that almost point to the fact that if we made complete decisions that way, it would bring complete satisfaction. It's like a window into what it could be. So let's move on, if you are obedient. I think it's really important at this point, and as I was... We're doing this uh, series on walking with, walking as Jesus walked. It's really, really, really important um, that we don't just set out a bunch of things that Jesus did and then go, right now you have to do them. Because if the Sermon on the Mount taught us anything, it was we cannot achieve what Jesus can achieve. We cannot achieve the complete obedience that Jesus achieved. And it's important for me to reiterate the gospel right now to you. Really important. Because if I have this statement, God has a plan for your life, and if if you're obedient, then immediately we'll all be sitting there going, actually, you know what, I haven't been obedient. And I guarantee when you leave this place, you will not be completely obedient to, to God. So the gospel is this. It's not, be good, be good, be good, and I'll accept you. It's, I'll accept you, and I will empower you to be good. That actually, when we accept Jesus into our lives, when we accept what he did on the cross, filled with his Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that led him, led him, you see throughout Jesus' life, it says it led him into the wilderness. It told him how the Holy Spirit guided Jesus. He did nothing other than submitting himself to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we have that same Holy Spirit in us. I think the Holy Spirit is the most undertaught doctrine of Christianity. and I don't want this church to be a, a church that, that, that pushes the Holy Spirit away, because you know none of this could happen without the Holy Spirit moving in your life. none of this. When we accept the gospel in our lives, we are saying, we are positioning God as our father. And our obedience as sons comes out of that positioning of, as, as God as our father. When God is our father, like, so my dad, right? I'm obedient to my dad as much as I can be, like, still, you know, I'm a grown man. But when I was a kid and growing up, he was my father. And I was obedient to him because he was my father. I wasn't obedient so that I would gain sonship. I wasn't—I didn't try and be good. So, you know, will you will you call me son? No, actually, first came his fatherhood over me. He was my father, and so I was obedient to him. It's really important that we get that distinction. It's important that we get that order correct. That he accepts us first. That he's called you first. That God has a plan for your life. That God has called you to be sons and daughters. And that actually our obedience falls in and flows from an understanding of that knowledge. Jesus was obedient because he knew who his father was. He was obedient because he knew he was the son of God. It came naturally out of that. Paul is really helpful in his letters when he writes, because what he does is he, is he um, orders it in such a way that you're, you're always faced with the gospel first. You're always faced with the fact that he, he reiterates the gospel. And then he says, lines along the lines of, now live in a manner worthy of your calling. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So when I say, and if you're obedient. The way in which we are obedient, the way in which we are, is not to try hard. Right, right, guys, we're going to be a church that is obedient. So what we're going to do is we're going to list out the rules and we're going to try our hardest to, to be obedient, okay? So we'll start with a couple of rules and then we'll just add to them as, as we get good, right? So as a church, we are going to be an obedient church, right? Start off with the first rule. And do you know that's essentially what happened with the Pharisees. Essentially what happened with the Jewish people was they had a list of rules and they tried to be obedient to them. And then they get to the place where actually I think we're obedient to this set of ten. Let's add a couple more because we can be even more obedient. Let's let's try and be completely obedient. So we'll add some more rules and as a church we can do that. I guarantee you, it, it won't do anything. That's what, I mean, this isn't about the Sermon on the Mount, but look back at the talks about the Sermon on the Mount, it says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect, as God is perfect. We're never going to achieve that set of rules. We're never going to get there. Actually, if we as a church are gospel-centered, if we're constantly reminded that actually our hope is in Jesus, our obedience comes out of Jesus, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be obedient, then it's not a case of, here are the rules, obey. Actually, what, what Jesus did is he, is he was the fulfillment of the law. He surmised the law by saying, love one another. And then he said, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you someone that is going to empower you to do that. We, we need to be, as a church beacon, we need to be a gospel-centered church because obedience will flow from that. We're not a church that says, here is our list of rules. If you don't adhere to this list of rules, you can go out. What we do with the gospel is what we're saying to God is, God, we submit to your authority. Because obedience is always seen in the context of an authority figure. And you know what? You will be obedient to something. It's not that you will, you know, you're you're a rebel. No, you will be obedient to something in the context of who your authority is. And your authority, if it's not God, if it's not someone else, it will be yourself. And you may consider yourself a rebel, but actually you are just submitting to your own authority. Obedience is, is only about authority. It's, it's how you live in the context of, of who that person is. And what I wanted to do with this sentence is to start with God because, when, as I said, when, when God is seen in the true light of who he is, actually it's inevitable that the authority is God. That it, it makes sense that the authority is God. The problem is when you have a small view of God and you say, uh, and you almost make God smaller and your life bigger. Then it says, God has a plan for your life. And if you're obedient to it, what you do is you make yourself the authority. And if you're obedient to it, of course you're going to be obedient to it. I'm going to do what I want. I had one of the most devastating conversations of my life this week with a friend of mine. And I'm not going to go into details, but all he said was, John, I want to do what I want to do. And I knew that there was no way I could change his mind. He said, I want to do what I want to do. I said, look, you do what you want to do. You obviously do not submit to the authority of God. Because if this scenario that has happened, had happened to someone that I knew submitted to the authority of God, you know what I'd have said to them? I'd have rebuked them out of the Chinese shop that I was in. <laughs> if it was my, one of my brothers, for instance, both my brothers, they're really strong Christians. They submit to the authority of God. If they would have done something foolish, if they would have done something disobedient to God, I could have rebuked them. I could have said to them, This, is, this goes against God. You have defied God. And there they would have been conviction. And they would have realised that. But if they'd have said to me, I want to do what I want to do. Then they would have been submitted to their own authority. And there's nothing I can say to them. See, I think sometimes as Christians we get it wrong. We try and tell the world how to behave. Actually, there's no way in which people that aren't submitted to the authority of God are going to behave in the way that the Bible says You see, the the way in which we should behave, the way in which Jesus tells us to behave is only for those that are submitted to the authority of God. And if you're a Christian here, you have. And it's a good tester. It's a good tester for yourself to see whether you are actually a disciple. And I said this was going to be heavy, but this is really important. (laughs) Really important. Because sometimes we, we do ourselves a bit of a disservice when people turn up to churches their whole lives they've never submitted to the authority of God. And, you know, we pay, we, we, we pay lip service to the authority of God. We pay lip service to the will of God. Because, you know what, in our culture there is, there is some way in which we, we see that God's way works. Now, now bear with me on this one. I could live my life for the rest of my life with the understanding to everyone else outside that I am a Christian. That I have submitted to the authority of God. But actually I've not. I've not. I've just submitted to what, I, what aligns with my will. I've decided actually yeah that makes sense for me. Do you know what? I've ended up with a very attractive wife out of this Christian gig. i, I I've I've submitted to the will of God in that. No, actually, have I? It's so easy for us to, to, to walk through our Christian lives and pay lip service to the fact that we have submitted to the will of God until there is a moment where God asks you to do something that you don't want to do. And God will do that you see the litmus test for obedience when we check to see whether we're obedient is does God always agree with you someone said to me once if God always agrees with you you've probably made him up in your head (laughs) you see what I mean by that like God never challenges me in the way that I behave it's great God just agrees with John and I walk through my life and, it, and it, you know, when I, when I don't want to do something, I kind of, actually, I don't think the Bible says that. I just do what I want to do. Yeah, I'm in the will of God. It's a good place to be. Amen, brothers. <laughs> and we play we pay lip service to this idea of being within the will of God. But actually, God has a will outside of our will. God has a will outside of our will that... At times, there will be contention. At times, there will be a moment where God says, this is what you should do. And you have to say, either, I submit to that. I want to do this, but I actually submit to that. Or you say, I want to do what I want to do. Obedience is a serious thing. It's not something, I, you know, I, and I am really guilty of this, and I'm, this is quite embarrassing, but I've said things to people, and it's like the trump card of Christianity when you say, yeah, I believe kind of God wants that for my life. You know, when, when, when someone's, someone's saying, oh, I'm not really sure what John's doing, and they challenge me on it, and I'm like, well, <laughs> I've prayed about it. God wants me to do that. I'm in God's will, yeah. But actually, as a church, we have a responsibility. We have a collective responsibility, and you have a, um, you have a responsibility if you've put yourself under the authority of God. To put yourself under the authority of the church. You know, if if we as a body, like, there's something to be said, and 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 culturally, this goes against what we do, but. Submitting to the authority of eldership. Being open to see what the church says. How often have you, have, you, have you had a decision in your life that you know you want to do this, but you feel like maybe God wants you to do this? How often have you honestly gone to, God, uh, gone to the church and said, do you know what, I feel like God might want me to do this, but I kind of want to do this what's right here? Can we pray about this together? But that is the joy of community, right? That's the joy of this church, that actually together we can discover the will of God for not just ourselves, but for the church. Do you know, obedience can be really inconvenient sometimes for us. And I want to challenge this church. I want to challenge this group of people to not pay lip service to obedience. To not say, yeah, yeah, I've spent time praying about it and I kind of feel like this. When what you've really done is you've just gone with what you want. Yeah, yeah, I've spoken to like a couple of other kind of good Christian people that I know who don't exist. And they've kind of said that I should do this. So I'm, I'm going to go with this. No, no. God knows. You may have fooled the church. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> God knows. The best thing, one of the amazing things about God, the kind of revelation to you, which is like an obvious revelation, is you can't mess around with God. You can't like, you know, I, I'm going your way, God. <laughs> And God's like, no, you're not. You haven't submitted to me. And what it exposes in us, a lack of submission to the authority of God. I joked around about Sarah, but um, there have been times in my life where I've come up against that decision, God's way, my way. And I've never, never regretted submitting to God's way. And I often <laughs> regret <laughs> doing what I want to do. When I became a Christian, I, um, I was trying to think of a good example for this. It's a quite a good example, it's not that great an example. But when I became a Christian, I, was, I, was, I had a girlfriend at the time who was lovely, a really lovely girl. And I knew at the moment when I became a Christian, when I was um, convicted by the Holy Spirit, I had this real revelation of who God was. It was this amazing moment. And I knew what had to be done. I knew I had to end it with this girl. Because it was inappropriate. It wasn't built on anything right. It was foolish. I knew I had to end it and... So in my naivety, I just went, fine. Called her up, ended it. I was like, she's crying down the phone. I'm like, sorry, God's will. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, completely um, foolish way of going about it. You know, very childlike. It was the right thing, but done in the wrong way. You know. Two weeks later, mm-hmm. Kind of want to get back with her. Hey, you know that call we had? I was just, you know, I was a bit crazy. I went to some crazy Christian camp, and you know, let's get back together, back together. Month later. No, actually, no. I've got to end this. This time with a little more grace, matter. And I ended it. And you know what? That. People kind of will only see the significance in their own lives, but for me, it was a massive, significant thing. I found a lot of um, affirmation. I found a lot of confidence in who I was with this girl. I found a lot of, um, uh, yeah, a lot of confidence in in how I was with with women. And it took a lot for me to say, actually, no, God, I'm going to submit to how you want to approach relationships. I'm going to submit to how you. Um, do marriage? I mean, at the time I was 17, I wasn't thinking about marriage. I was like, "God, how does this work?" You know. <laughs> but that has been a journey for me, and do you know, what? it took me like seven years. I didn't have a girlfriend for seven years. Oh, no, no. I actually, I I, I, I made a decision at that point that. God, I was going to submit to your authority. I was going to decide that there are going to be times in this journey where I am going to want to do what I want to do. I'm going to be out and there's going to be someone that I want to to go back to the way that the world approaches relationships. I want to do it that way. But actually, God, you are God. And your wisdom is above my wisdom. And I will submit to your authority. So in this momentary event, I I I will walk away from that. Not to say that I was perfect in it, but God has been faithful through it. And as I say, like I look at Sarah, and this is no way an embarrassment to Sarah, but I look at the kind of character that she's got, and, and I'm overwhelmed by God's, God's wisdom. You know, I spent the years in the desert. I was like, God, where are you taking me? This isn't where the girls are. (laughs) I'm in a prayer meeting full of old people. But do you know what I mean? And he will satisfy you. He will satisfy you. Do you know what? It makes sense that we are satisfied when we are doing what we are called to do. You know, it makes sense that the fulfillment of our lives is is doing what we are built to do. You know, it it, just just makes sense. If we're his workmanship, if we're tall in his hands, then it makes sense. You know, a hammer's happy hammering. You know? There's a story, how long have I got? Not long. There's a story, um, hello? The, the verse I was given was John 4, the story of Jesus. Jesus' life, um, as I said, was completely submitted to the will of the Father. And everything that he did was, you, you, because you know that, everything that he did and he said was, was because of the way that he was led by the Holy Spirit. And so there's this moment where he's traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee and you have to pass through Samaria. And the Samaritans were, you know, they're not, you know, Samaritans now, when you say Samaritans, they're good people. The Samaritans at the time of the Bible were not good people in the context of the Jews. The Jews hated them. And, uh, and Jesus decides to, to stop at a well and, and sends his disciples to get some food. And he, um, he has this encounter with this woman. You heard the story, the woman at the well. This is his story. And he talks with this woman and it's, it's outrageous that he's talking to her because one, she's a Samaritan. Two, she's a woman. And, and three, she's a woman that has been caught in disrepute. And it's outrageous that he's, that he's speaking with her. And He basically reveals something to her which would then trigger in her a revelation that he is the Christ. And that would then trigger her going back to her people and spreading the gospel. And through this woman, through this one person that had this encounter with Jesus, this whole town was saved. And there's this moment that I imagine if this was made into a film, it would be like this kind of like split screen, kind of dipping into two scenes moment where um, Jesus sends this woman away and at the moment where the disciples kind of come back with this food, like, oh my goodness, who's Jesus speaking to? Like, uh, a bit worried that, like, what's happened? And it says they, they wondered at the fact that he, he was speaking to this woman. And then it, she leaves and while she's there in, in Samaria, speaking and, and preaching the good news, basically, and, and um, bringing salvation to this town, they offer Jesus some bread. And Jesus says to them, ah, my bread, I, I, don't, I don't want this bread, my bread is to do the will of the Father. My bread is to accomplish what he set for me to do. And I imagine, you know, sometimes when we read the Bible, we kind of take out any emotion, the way that things are done. I imagine him reclining. He said, ah, actually, no, nah, I'm okay. <laughs> my my bread is to do the will of the Father. With this big grin on his face as he's picturing the fact that this whole town, after this conversation, this whole town's being evangelized. He's completely satisfied in the mission that he's been given. He's completely satisfied. It must have brought him so much joy. And they're all like, he doesn't want any bread. Uh, you know, they don't get that. Of course he wants some normal bread. The point is that he found such satisfaction in the mission of God on his life. And the purposes, the fact that God had called him. The fact that he had been completely obedient. And that throughout his life he found satisfaction. I, had, um, I was speaking with Phil last night and telling him, there's this guy at my work called Freddie. I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> no, no he, I hope he does. Freddie, if you're listening. Um, and he's, he's actually leaving, but I've had really good conversations with him. He's one of these guys, who's like super intelligent and knows everything about everything to the point where I thought he was a Christian because he knew so, so much about Christianity. But he, I mean, he came up to me one day at my desk and he said, John, um, what do you think about transubstantiation? And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> why do you ask? <laughs> Transubstantiation. <laughs> anyway. And I talked to him about God all the time and I told him I was going to be preaching. And, and the other day I went for lunch with him and he said to me, oh, John, I started going to church. And I was like, oh, cool. Inside I was like, yeah! I was like running around, but outside I was like, cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. It was this moment when I realised, it's such an amazing thing to be part of what God is doing. Such an amazing thing. Jesus goes on to talk about this moment as, as, um, as like harvest time. In the ancient world, harvest time was like, it's time to party. It's like party time. It means like, it's time to gather in the food. And it says the sower and the reaper will, will rejoice together. Actually, doing the work of God is amazing. It's so, it's so amazing. I, like There's moments in my life where I've, where I've been obedient to God. I've had my focus on his purposes for my life. And I've realized, oh, that's what it feels like to be satisfied. That's what it feels like to, be, to have your full of life, the, the fullness of life that, God, that Jesus said that he would give. I want to end with this. God has a, a plan for your life. God has a plan. When I said to Owen, that's what I was going to say, he said, how about you just change it He said, God has a plan. I was like, no, I want to keep it in for your life. <laughs> no obedience there. No submission to authority. No, the reason I wanted to keep that in is because I wanted to remind ourselves that actually it's God has a plan for his church. People often use the, the there's a verse, Jeremiah 29, many of the plans I have for you, says the Lord, you know, Everyone's like, oh, many of the plans you have for me. <laughs> many, many plans, eh, God? Mm. <laughs> I know the plans. But actually, it's written to God's people. It's written to the, to the Israelites at the time. It's written to Israel. It's written to God's people. And actually, God has a collective plan for this vessel. I like to think of Beacon as like a little small ship in a fleet. And actually, God has a strategic plan for Beacon in this place. And collectively, if we are obedient to God's calling, if we understand who God is as a church, if we submit to his plan and his purpose for this church, you know, God will do something amazing with this small little vessel. (laughs) Glad Don agrees. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, I, I'm, I'm excited about church at the moment. I'm excited that we are part of God's plan for this world. You know, the church is God's plan for, for humanity. And this little vessel that we're in, in Brixton, we need, to, we need to catch a little bit of the vision of what God's plan is for us. And we need to be obedient to where he wants to take us. I want to ask you a question. Are you satisfied? <coughs> On the kind of barometer of satisfaction, are you satisfied? It's kind of one of those awkward questions that you're sitting in there. And you're like, oh, I'm probably about four, four out of ten, maybe. At best, five. Now, on that gauge, now overlay that. Are you obedient? Because there will be a correlation between your obedience and your satisfaction. If, as a church, we are obedient, we will be satisfied. I'm going to ask this church to try obedience out of an understanding of the gospel and I guarantee this little vessel will be satisfied and will bring satisfaction to others. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what you want to do with that message I feel like I missed bits out and I added bits in but Lord you have a plan for this church Lord you have a purpose for this church And we know that when we submit to your authority, you ultimately satisfy us. Father, I pray that we wouldn't let this fall on deaf ears. We would take this. That feeling of dissatisfaction would would push us into investigating what it means to be obedient to you. And Father, we pray this in your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.